Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, Executive Editor of Recode, and this is Recode Replay. Here's an interview from the stage of the 2017 Code Media Conference in Dana Point, California. You can find full coverage of all the speakers of the conference on Recode.net. Now I'm going to hand you off to my colleague, Recode Senior Media Editor Peter Kafka. I told you we'd oh, do a fast introduction. I mean, really fast. I was, wanna, I was waiting for all my stats. I mean, my God. I think this audience knows who you are, but in case they don't. But I can never hear them enough. What do you do for a living? Uh, I make, make TV shows and movies. Mostly movies? Mm, half and half. Half and half? Half and half, yeah. Uh, movies, people in this audience would have seen? Movies, I've done much better. Movies are much more successful yeah. than the TV part, for sure. You have stuff in the theaters now? Yes, we have a movie. We have Split in the theater now, and we have a movie coming out uh, in a couple of weeks called Get Out, which is a movie by Jordan Peele. And Split is we'll do we'll do the one that's Split in the is right M now. Night Shyamalan. He, we did the visit with him, and this is his uh, his his follow up to the visit, which we uh, we're very happy about. It's done very well. And then other movies people would have seen. They've seen a lot of your movies. Um, some big hits: Paranormal Activities, Paranormal Activity, Insidious, Sinister, The Purge, Ouija, Whiplash, Normal Heart. So whiplash excluded, there's generally a theme here, right? You do dark, dark horror, thrillers. Scary. Whiplash is my Sundance kind of indie scary, scary movie. It's still scary, it's just a different tone. Should we poll people if they've seen, par- is this a whiplash crowd or a, or a paranormal? I mean, it's a whiplash crowd. crowd, I know, I know. I don't know. I don't know. So I, let's, I mean, I, not that I don't appreciate my crowd, but I actually, one of the things I love about scary movies is that we're kind of outcat. My parents are kind of embarrassed that I do it. I kind of love that. But it's not, it's not gore, right? I mean, there's, there's some... We've gore. made some gory ones. There, okay. I used to say we only scary, not gory. I broke my rule. We've got some... The Purge is pretty bloody. Yeah, all right, fair enough. Yeah. Um, and, and the other commonality for most of these movies, I think all of them, is none of them are big budget movies. Cheap. Some of them are very they're all, cheap. They're all cheap. So this is kind of your calling card, right? You yes. Have, you have a formula. You yes, I do. You want to explain what the formula is? Yeah, so the formula in broad strokes is we only make low budget movies. We get paid nothing. The directors get paid as little as we're allowed, which is scale. The actors get paid as little as they're allowed, which is scale. And the pitch to the filmmaker coming in, my, my greatest successes, or our greatest success have been with filmmakers who've kind of had a hit and then kind of gone off a little bit. So James Wan did Saw, and he did two movies for Universal you've never heard of, and he came into my office and he is pissed. They're in movie jail. They're in movie jail, they're pissed at the system. And one of the biggest reasons they're pissed, where we get mad at the system is, we go to work for a studio, the studio tells us what to do, the movie bombs, we get blamed. So we, being the filmmakers, get blamed. So that is a very powerful tool that our company uses, and we say to James, or whoever it may be, can't promise you a hit, but I'm gonna give you final cut, and I promise the movie will be your own. So you're gonna live or die on your own work. And I, I kind of make a joke, although it's not really a joke, that it's auteur filmmaking, it's the kind of French style of filmmaking, but it's for commercial movies. And that's a very powerful message to a man, or hopefully woman, who has kind of been burned a little bit by the system. So it's not first-time filmmakers, necessarily. We don't. The big difference between us and Roger Corman, we're, we're compared a lot to Roger Corman, who I love and is terrific, but totally different system. Roger Corman was first-time, do everything as if you're, cheaply If you're as, not an old person, Roger Corman was 60s, 70s, exploitation. Famous, film. yeah, did Famously four, gave everyone their start. Famously gave Jack Nicholson and, and, uh, and so a, a gazillion people their start. Um, 
Uh, but his whole thing was super, super cheap from beginning to end. Mine, I don't want a first-time filmmaker. I want a filmmaker who's, who's kind of been through the system and, and has something to prove. Scott Derrickson did Exorcism Emily Rose, which was a kind of a big hit, and then he did this movie, uh, this Keanu Reeves movie for Fox, which didn't work at all, and he was in my office and ready to make Sinister. And, um, and we've done it time and time again, and it's, been, it's a very effective tool. And when the director doesn't make money, unless the movie makes money, guess what? More often than not, when it's a choice about what's gonna make the movie more commercial, the argument is a lot smaller because our, our interests are aligned with the director as opposed to paying him a big fee up front, when then he just wants good reviews because he's been paid already, So the studio hasn't. So the economics of it are, are you've, you've got some actual sort of, it's, it's a formula, right? Like up to five million for the first movie? Yeah, five, yeah. well, we, we, the reason that we get to our number is actually it's, it's totally reverse engineered. So the number used to be three million, four million, now it's five million, and, and besides the fact besides inflation, um, which obviously isn't that big a percentage that I just mentioned, uh, we get to the number by worst case scenario, where are we gonna lose? And it's very, studios do low, mid, high ranging cases, but they're low, they, the movie can come in below their low case like an often does. We can't get worse than our low case. So in a, a worst case scenario, the movie's upside down and backwards, I can get $2 million out of the United States and $2 million no out of the No one comes to see this movie. Oh, it's not in theaters. You, right, so, so you've, you've, you've got a version of this, no but you don't theaters. even put it out. It's not a version, it's a pillar right. to our strategy, which is I say to the directors, no distribution, guaranteed. You look at it. We don't decide. You test it? We test it a million times, and we don't decide how the movie's gonna be distributed until it is finished. And I can, I say to the directors, I guarantee your movie will be seen, but I'm not guaranteeing how it will be seen. So it might just be seen on iTunes, or it might be in 3,000 theaters, and we make that decision after the fact. So there's, so how many of the movies that you make for, so you were gonna say, so basically, there's a version of this where the movie never gets shown in a theater, but you can still get your five million back or close to it. Yeah, maybe, our, our worst case is four, so we lose a million bucks. And that's iTunes, International. International, all media, domestic, worldwide all media. Someone in China it's about town two selling two. a pirated DVD. Well, you don't get any money for the pirated DVD. We don't get DVD. that money, yeah. Um, People say, are your movies shown? We've never had a movie distributed in China, but all our movies are seen in China, always, by everybody. <laughs> but no, we've never distributed one. And then you've got a second tier for someone who's established, like M. Night, he gets to like nine million, 10 million, is that right? No, no, our second tier, when we go a little more expensive, everything that I just said is off the table, first of all, for sequels. Sequels, guaranteed release date before we start. We have proven IP, so we have a proven... You made the purge. We still make sequels make a lot purge. less money than studios, but our sequels are more closer to 10 than 5. Um, and the sequel is, it's a, just a much, a sequel, the sequels that we do are much, follow the life much more closely to a traditional studio movie. They're still a lot less expensive. We still don't get paid. I don't like a big above the line on the sequels, but they follow a line much more like a traditional studio film. And so what's, how, what's, your, what's the methodology you use to figure, all right, this is, this is theater worthy, this is, this is going to iTunes? Well, when you screen a movie with an audience in Burbank or wherever, Westlake Village or wherever we screen these movies, 99 times out of 100, if you were there and I'm there and the director there and Universal's there, it's, we kind of all agree. It's very rare that you disagree. And there's a, there's a 
a lot of how it plays. You're watching watch the watch how the movie plays. You could see. You could. You could. You could. You could. You guys. Could, it's like everyone's like Paranormal Activity is such a genius. Like no, I screened the movie in front of an audience and watched them all jump out of their seat and was. And no, I couldn't get anyone in the theater to watch that. But anyone, if they were in the theater, would have known Paranormal Activity was going to be a hit. I just everyone would watch it on the DVD at home, so no one put that together. But there's a great benefit to the director. This is easier usually for the director to understand than his representatives. But for the director, there's a great benefit, thank you, uh, uh, to, to the system that I just described. Because it's almost director proof. In other words, it's, it's, there's almost no, it's almost hit proof. You make a movie, you screen it, we think we got a winner, we release it wide, 99, 49 times out of 50 on that movie, we do well. The bar is so low, the movie costs $5 million. If it opens to 10 and gets to 23, it's not like a home run, but it's a success. Everyone made a little bit of money. If the movie doesn't come out well, it goes to iTunes, so it kind of disappears. So, so there's, no, there's no magic the to this. You show it in a screen, you show it in a, in a, screen, in a theater, everyone sort of gets it right away. Yeah, there's, there's not a lot of... We there's had no complicated one, we had, algorithm we had, we had one big disagreement. I guess if I disagree, technically, if anyone's interested, the way it works with Universal is if I disagree with them and I think the movie should be a wide release and they don't, I'm, I'm, if they're financing, they don't finance everything we do, but most of what we do, then I'm allowed to go show it to other people. I've made 22 movies for them. One movie I disagreed with them about and they were right, I was wrong. I shopped it everywhere. Everyone said, Universal's right, you should not release this and we didn't. What was that one? It was Stretch. It was Joe Carnahan's movie. And there's, and there's one case, and this is, I was talking about your comms guy and how well he's done by telling me about this stuff. He made a point of telling me about this movie. Thank God. I forgot. You, have a, you, have, you hold a, a record for the least yeah. watched movie. I mean, Josh, he's, he's, he's touting my biggest bomb. My only bomb. Um, <laughs> tell people what that movie is. We called. have a record. We do. We have many records. We have a record for the um, lowest weekend gross of a wide release film. So a film released over 2,000 screens and the, the, the lowest number possible, I think it did like 1.1 for the weekend, which is a record for the, it's the lowest grossing wide release film ever of all time. Do you, do you guys want to guess what that movie's called? No. <laughs> it's called, it's called, it was called Gem and the Holograms. It was a lesson to stay in scary. I was trying to get fancy, do kids movies. So what went wrong there other sad. than going into kids movies? Well, how, did you, how did you screen it in the theater and think, this is a winner, let's go and, and, and get it that far wrong? Well, that movie went through exactly the same process I described, and, and, and I, I, I blame myself, but it was a group. We, Universal thought it was going to work. Actually, the studio was divided, but the, Jeff Shell thought it was going to work. He, Jeff and I agreed, and we thought it was really going to work. There were other people there who didn't, but, but there was a, enough of a group of people who said, we should bet on this one. The yeah. movie tested really well. It screened great. It just didn't work. So sometimes there's an outlier. Well, yeah, that once where it was. And then so you make a five million dollar movie, if you market it, and this is Universal Comcast who actually does it. Yeah. Um, then they spend how much marketing it? They spend twenty five to thirty five. So they treat months. it like it's a like a oh, blockbuster. Yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That's the whole thing. That's yeah. the whole mechanism yeah. of, of of those kind of releases. Yeah. So the idea of of spending a little bit, having an indie studio make a movie for a small budget, and then get picked up by a bigger distributor. That's not a new idea. The idea of focusing on horror, that's not a new idea. Uh, the Weinsteins used to do very well with Dimension. Um, 
is there something specifically new that you're doing here, or you're just the only, like, why aren't other people doing what you're doing? Well, I think the new idea is that, and this certainly holds for the Weinsteins, and it holds for the independent, there's a method in Hollywood, which is very hard to escape from, largely ego-based, which is if you have a hit, you should make a more ex expensive movie. If you have a director and you have a five or $10 million movie, you should make a $50 million movie. Same thing with the producer. After I produce Paranormal Activity, you should go make World War Z. And I always say I was lucky enough that I was 30 in my mid-30s when Paranormal Activity happened, so I'd been kicked around for 15 years. I think if I was 22, I probably would have gone to do an expensive movie. But I had seen both sides of the world and was very fixated on this idea of let's continue to keep budgets low and kind of play for the upside. And it's not sexy. I'm not in a, a sexy part of the business. I'm like, maybe in our offices are in like Thai town. You know, I'm not, I'm really kind of an, an outsider in the Hollywood system. And I think that that, I, I really think it sounds simple and kind of a little silly, but I think it is kind of true that it's so hard for everyone, whether you're on the talent side or the representation side or even the studio side, to not think the cool kids spend money and kind of the less cool kids don't. And, and, and studios, I, I know this, I'm not even, it's not even a theory. I, I, people who've run other studios have come to me often and said, we want to do this, this is such a great business, da 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 da. But when you test that, it just, it falls apart for a variety of reasons, but really all the reasons come down to what I just said. Nobody I, mean, I could give specifics on that if you wanted, but it's... Ego is, is where we were just... Yeah, I mean, it's like, we, you, I, I had this one situation, this is kind of a good story. We had this movie, uh, we had this movie called The Gift, um, which we made, which, which, uh, which Universal didn't want to do, and I loved it. And we had a stop date with an actress working on the movie. So we had to start spending money on the movie before I had a yes from Universal, which I do occasionally. And so we're like a couple hundred thousand, three hundred thousand dollars in. I assumed they were going to say yes. They said no. And I had two studio head, 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 the super head, which was probably a mistake already. But I had the super heads of two studios who will remain name nameless, who said anything Universal does, we're in. We're in. And it happened to be that these two meetings happened very close to a month before this movie became available. And I called them both and I said, well, good news, we have this movie, it's exactly the situation that you want, and by the way, I'm not interested in a bidding war, I don't, I, I'm really stressed about the 250,000, which is a small company, I got a quarter million bucks, so that I'm like kind of flying by the wind and I'm gonna owe another $300,000 next week. Uh, Here's the deal I have at Universal. The first one to say yes to the exact same terms gets the movie. And that was a Friday. And on Monday, I'm Sunday, I'm waiting for my phone to ring like this is I'm in business. And on Monday, Still waiting. we like, no, we like, come in, meet with us. Can you put Scarlett Johansson in the movie? We want to, I'm like, Scarlett Johansson, like, we have an actress. It's closed. Now I'm $600,000 into this thing. What are you talking about? And they wanted to develop it. And we'll pay Scarlett Johansson $8 million. And I think a lot, it's very hard as a producer to think, shit, I got Rebecca Hall for scale, but if I could work with Scarlett Johansson for $8 million, this would be great. I don't think that way. 
but a lot of people do. And anyway, I wound up doing it with neither one of those people and someone else, and I was like 900 grand into the movie. But I always think of that as an example of kind of what it's you're mission, talking it's about. Mission, it's ego plus mission creep. Mission, we do this better than you. You don't know what you're doing, kind of like that. And, um, and it's, it's, it's kind of fascinating. And, it's and good for me. There is one studio who's doing what we're doing pretty successfully right now. And, and why does horror work? In, Other than us. Why does horror work as this genre? Why, what horror is, work because you don't need names. You don't need movie stars. You need movie stars, I think, for comedy. For almost every other genre, you need movie stars. Horror, you just need a concept. So, so that's the biggest reason. And by, I believe, the best horror comes from low budgets. So as soon as you pull out special effects and... and as soon as you pull out the bells and whistles, you have to focus on the stuff that really makes movies scary. So it's not a coincidence that Paranormal Activity is ten grand and Blair Witch was twenty-five grand. People no, are being invented. No, and it's not a coincidence that low-budget horror consistently works better than any other genre on a wide-release platform, for sure. So speaking of horror, we have a new movie. You have a new movie coming out. Yeah, yeah. Directed by Jordan Peele of yeah. Key and Peele. Yeah, Key and Peele. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Let's show a clip from that, and then we'll talk about how that came about. Okay, great. Good to see another brother around here. <sighs> yes, of course it is. Something wrong? Chris was just telling me how he felt much more comfortable with my being here. That's nice. It's a fun, this is a fun movie to talk about given what we're talking yeah. about. So one of the other um, benefits of doing low budget movies and doing low risk movies is that we get to have kind of the opposite conversations that a studio has before, on a Monday morning when you read scripts. So if you worked at a studio, if I ran a studio, I would do the exact same thing, which is you have to have comps. So we read this script, it's comps to this, comps to this, so worst case scenario, 25 million dollars. We get to do the opposite because the most we can lose is a million bucks. So what I always look for is what has anyone read this weekend that there are no comps? What feels totally different? So Get Out is a great example of that. Get Out was, is, 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 it's hard to tell from this, but it's basically uh, a horror version of Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, right? So Allison Williams, the whitest girl in America. Allison Williams from Allison Williams from Girls, from Girls right, right? Or has, from Brian Williams, has both. A, Right, or from Brian Williams, from both, uh, has a, an African-American boyfriend they've been going out for three months, movie opens, and, and he says to her, you know, have you told your family that I'm black? And she says, why would I do that? Like, the fact that you would even ask that is so messed up, you know? And, and, he, and what you learn in the first 10 minutes of the movie, she is ultra-race sensitive, and he's super relaxed. They get pulled over by a cop, he's not driving, the cop asks him for his license, she's up in arms, he's like, I'm used to it. And they get to the house, and right at 20 minutes into the movie, you know, the dad says, you know, I loved Obama, and he's, do you like to golf? I love Tiger Woods, and you're just like this, like, oh, like, this is terrible. And what turns out into, it's Jordan's kind of 
worst American nightmare. I won't give away what the movie is, but it's, there really isn't a comp for it. It is a straight, scary movie that's not a comedy at all. And it's my, we don't, all of our movies obviously don't have this, but, but some of my most favorite movies that we've done have a social message underneath it. This movie has that. The Purge certainly had it. And, uh, and so it opens two weeks. I'm excited about it. So five years ago, this would have been open field for you. You wouldn't have had real competition for a movie like this. Now, we, when Jordan Peele wants to do a movie like this, is he also talking to no, Netflix no, 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 and Amazon? Eddie Q is going to be here from Apple. Well, that's on. another. Netflix and Amazon, yeah, not yet. Uh, we have. You're not bumping into them. We're bumping into them all the time on the making deals with talent side because everyone and their mother is busy, which is great and great for the business. Not good for our business, but we we built our company when there were, when there were no jobs, so it was much easier to get people you know working on our movies. I'm very glad the business is much healthier, but we have to go about it a different way. But um, but the answer on the competition is. No, you know, it's still like the, the, we've done best with movies that have been kicking around and everyone has said no to. This movie was written eight, or the concept was eight years ago. The Purge was floating around for four years. And that's not just, that's not because we're great risk takers, because what I'm talking about before, we're doing it for much less money than people would ordinarily do, so we can try weird stuff. But this is not a down the middle scary movie by any stretch of the imagination. Back to Netflix and, and Amazon, it seems like they would wade into this. Maybe they're going for, for bigger budget, higher profile stuff. They want to make a splash instead of going low budget. Or it's not your problem. You don't care. You're not I do it. care. No, it is our problem. But there were, I don't find, it's, it's just what I said before. I don't find that I'm chasing the same projects as them, but I'm chasing the same talent for sure. For sure, for sure. So this stuff is going to open in a theater. That's the whole premise. If it's successful, it goes to a theater. Right. Um, every year, people come on this stage, and we talk about windowing and day and date releases. And if someone here is from a studio, they say, oh, I'd love to do it, but it's right. not really going to happen. Right. Uh, do you want people to see a movie like this at home instead of a theater? Or would you be OK? I want windowing to collapse for, I think, I think the, my thinking has evolved over the last 18, 12 to 18 months. I'm sure people have heard. But I think that there are going to be some movies that stay in the traditional windows and most movies where the windowing will collapse. I personally don't, don't. it makes no difference to me if we can monetize the movie, if they see it on their watch, on our screen, on their, th I think it drives me bananas. I always have the argument with filmmakers. Filmmakers get totally taken advantage of by the, the theatrical release being hung, you know, in front of them in a, in a, in a way that's, you know, kind of harsh. You think, I think you think a traditional filmmaker still wants to have their movie every, show up? Every filmmaker. Because? God, it's insane. I have no idea. They don't go to the movies. You say, what's the last movie you saw in a theater? It's like, ah, four years ago I went to go see. So why do you want your movie in a theater? And, but don't, for horror, don't, don't I need to see this in a theater to no, get the maximum you need, yes. I mean, no, you don't, jump out of my seatability? You, you, we are so beyond the time of telling kids what, where they need to see what. Like, you should never do that, you know? It just, you're killing, you're killing your own business. Like, it should be available in a the theater. Our biggest audience is women under 25, surprisingly. That's who goes to scary movies. They go in groups, they bring their boyfriends, they scream, they love to be in that environment. We should have that as an option for them. But I would just, you know, I'd be just as happy if you had it as an option at home, too, as long as we can, as long as the economics are the same, which I believe that they will be, or even better. And we can keep trying to make different things, you know? That's how you make great stuff, by making a lot. Some of it's great. But if you stop making it, you're not going to have anything great. You came out, you, I, I said you're, in, you're making movies. You said no movies in TV. Does this, can you do this formula in TV, or is that a whole different animal? No, it's a great question. I tried. Thank you. It didn't work. <laughs> you, you, tried the, you tried the cheap-ass 
We tried TV the cheap production. ass TV. Yeah, we you you it, it's the the tele, television production. I mean, there are a lot of reasons for it. Mostly, it's much healthier than the film business. So because of Netflix, because of Amazon. Because we're in the golden age of TV. Because there are 52 networks. There are 52 places financing television, or 54, whatever the latest number is. And so, when you say to a showrunner, "I'll let you do whatever you want and do it for $500,000 an episode," the showrunner will say, "I could do whatever I want for $2 million an episode, so I don't need you." Um, so that's why. And then you were trying to expand, you're doing, everyone has to say they're, they're doing branded content these days, which is basically a euphemism for a long TV commercial. Branded, I, I, I don't, I, I don't, don't do, you brand, don't, you no, don't do branded that, content? No, that sounds, no, I hate brand, I don't like branded Didn't I read that you were doing branded content or are you calling it something else? Are you making advertising for someone? No. Budweiser's not paying you? Oh, did I black that was a out live event. Okay. Live event. We did a lot. We had. We were in the haunted house business for a few years. Terrible business. Don't go into it. I've, no, lost, no, no, I've lost money every time. In the, but I keep going back good. in. Okay. So the one way you can. The one time I guess we didn't lose it. We lost. We made a little bit. We made fifteen cents with Budweiser. Is uh, they paid uh, our little haunted house company. They paid us to do a a scary experience where you drink beer in Argentina. Which you, we went, everyone did the scary experience, and there, the, 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 um, the magic. It's not a euphemism. You magic, go to Argentina and do it? I didn't go, but okay. we sent our people yeah. to Argentina. Yeah, they made it. And, uh, and the, magic, the magic formula there is you get the brand to pay for the event, and then you charge everyone 10 bucks, and then you get to keep the 10 bucks. Like, you know, it's like that, 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 that works great. It's hard to do. You're sticking with movies. So yeah, you can repeat I am this, sticking with movies. You can repeat yeah. this formula for years. Do, do anything about the political environment, cultural environment where this... Who said I could repeat it for a year? I never said that. Years, years. I, I wouldn't say that. You, no. It changes all the time. What our changes? Little, our model? Yeah. No, I don't think I can repeat it for I, we've, we've, It's evolved, but I never would say I will repeat it for... Who knows what will... You know, the market, the whole forces everything... When you come back here in a couple years, you're going to be making $100 million movies? No, I don't... I really... uh, Unless there's some seismic change in my life, I'm not... um, I really don't like all the things that go along with making $100 million movies, and I don't have any ideas about how to... I don't think... The process is broken. It works great. I mean, Disney, they, I can't put this, Marvel, all of that is spectacular. I can't imagine doing it how they would, I do it halfway as well as they do. But I'm not, it's something that is, I like, I think there's a real, there's a lot to be said for like reading it. Jordan sends me the script and we read it and we like it and we don't have to cast movie stars and we can go make it. And you can't, it would be irresponsible to do with $100, $200 million movies. So I'm not, not interested in that. But I think our little, it's changed so much. The movies used to be, I said three, they actually used to be, they started, we started with a five-picture deal with Alliance for a million dollars a piece. So it changes, and it'll continue to change. And now we're making movies, we used to make 10 movies for $3 million a year, now we make five for five, five for three, five for a million. So it changes. All right, and it's not a cookie cutter. It's I not a cookie correct. cutter. No, no, no. I just, I, I don't, I don't. Also, I, I don't like the idea of like, oh, we're doing this well, so we're just going to keep doing it. I have a, I don't like that thought. Change is good. Change is good. Bunch of smart people here. Let's ask them if they have questions for you guys, or I have more. I'm going to open up the lights here. Hello. Turn the Only lights answers. on. Only answers. Lori, can you turn the lights on mm. so the audience can ask a question? Thank you. Questions for Jason. I see a shy person working his way up. Or is that a photographer? <laughs> wow. Whoa, he psyched me out. So nervous. Oh, Jeff Greenfield's not nervous. We got one back here. Joe. 
Yeah, um, I just want to ask a little bit more about your, what are your marketing practices that are different than a big theatrical release? Are there particular things that you're doing looking at from a marketing perspective that are unusual? Well, we, our relationship to marketing changes a lot on how the movie is released. We have a movie, we have a little company called Tilt, which does the distribution ourselves, and all the things that I just described with Universal is totally different with Tilt. With Universal, Universal does the marketing and they So they're going to market this? You hand they're it to marketing Universal. it, yeah. We hand it to Universal. We talk to them all the time about our thoughts on the trailer and the TV spots and the social media and everything else, but they make the final call on all those things and they do a great job, and so I'm, I'm very pleased with that partnership. Um, uh, I would say generally, certainly, because our movies are made for people under 25, the digital spend, our digital ad spend, is much, even on the normal studio releases, proportionally much higher than the norm. On our little tilt movies, it's, it's much, it's over 50%. So if I was gonna generalize about it, we just, we do spend much more on digital than most movies do to market our movies. Question here. Hey, I'm Jason Peterson at Go Digital. I was curious, from a revenue ultimate perspective, how, and from a percentage standpoint, how your revenues break down for these movies across the different windows. Uh, well, we have a we have a we have a gross deal with the studio with whoever we're working with, and so we get a percentage of the revenue, which is. Um, which changes a little bit depending on the pay TV, the free TV, the physical, um, the theatrical. It changes a little bit, but we get the, we have a very fair share, I would say, of the profits of the movie, given the fact that most of the movies we put up zero capital, and the studio puts up all the capital, both for the budget and the marketing. There are there are a handful of movies where we're putting up the we're doing the next Halloween movie, which we're co-financing. We'll have an even better deal on that, but it's a very fair split of the profits. The system would break down if that didn't happen. Yeah, sorry, maybe I wasn't clear. I was speaking more to, you know, is 20% of your ultimate revenue from paper download channels, oh, 15% oh, from oh, AVOD, oh. you know, pay-per-view. Pay right, got it. Our, our, on the wide releases, most of our revenue, which is unusual, is from the theatrical release. Um, scary movies do um, much worse, yeah, their ancillary value, both VOD and physical, is, does much worse than the norm. So our ratio, if you do X amount of box office, you're going to do X amount of ancillary, is much lower. So the pay TV deals stay the same because the studio, they go into packages of pay TV deals. So that you can predict. It's a direct reflection of box office. But our ancillary value is much less. Most of the revenue comes in from theatrical. Because people want to see very, the theater. Which is, by the way, very unusual. Because um, uh, most people want to see in the, I guess so. Most people want to see in the theater. Question here. Hey, my name is Olivia. Uh, question about a script. So when you have a script in your hands and you're reading it for the first time, what, what makes you excited? What makes you want to make this movie? And what are some red flags? Well, what makes us want to make the movie is it's different. Kind of what I talked about before, like I've never read anything like it. That happened on The Purge. That happened on Get Out. That happened on Split. That happened on The Visit. Like I've never read anything like it. And then the other thing, which is, which is, which is the other part of that equation is, I'm really interested in what can you do on a very low budget that has mass appeal. You know, my dad was an art dealer. My mother was an art history professor. I grew up in this very kind of 
you know, hoity-toity art world, and, and my reaction against it is I like doing like broad appeal things, and I think it's like a chess game of like, what can you do for a little bit of money that has broad appeal? So in addition to original, how can you sell it with one line, or can you sell it, what's the, what's the trailer, what's the TV spot, like is there a wide release movie in this idea? Most small movies don't have that. So those are the two things that we're looking for. We're not always right about the wide release, but we always go into it thinking that's where we're gonna wind up. What percentage of your movies go wide? Well, about 60%, not of all the movies that we make, but of the movies that I just described. Where you're coming where, in where cold. Coming in, yeah, are about 60%, which is better than it was. It was, we were used to be about 50%, a, so we're doing a little pretty, it's pretty. It's a pretty good hit ratio. It's a pretty good hit ratio. It, 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 well, it's a pretty good wide release rate. Yeah. All the wide releases are not necessarily hits, but they, but like I said, the bars gut is uh, yeah. doing well enough there. Yeah. No t-shirt today, Rich. No t-shirt. Um, I still have it, though, if you want one. Bring it back. Uh, Rich, Rich had, a, had a custom T-shirt made last year. Nice, nice. Um, you know, Jason, you, know, you mentioned the, kind of thinking about applying this to TV uh, and the challenges of kind of applying what you've done to TV. And, you know, it just strikes me that, you know, the next guest you have in Brian Robbins at YouTube and what he's done in terms of creating content in a very different way at a very different budget level. Like, why, why doesn't what you're doing work for TV in some form when, if you, if you expand the definition of TV to digital rather than just think about it as TV? Well, what you said is the key. When you said TV, I was just thinking traditional television. Digital, it's all cheap. Um, and Brian can tell you how you can, you know, monetize that. We have an interest in a company called Crypt TV, which does low-cost, short-form, scary content. Um, uh, and so we are, we, we, we are in that space. Um, you know, it's not as flashy or anything, but we are in that space, and it does quite well for us. Because I was just thinking, like, you made the comment that no one goes to the movies, or everyone goes, I can't remember the last time I went to the movies. Well, I don't think anyone thinks about... TV is TV anymore, they just think about it as a screen. I agree with you on the user side, I disagree with you on the creator side. So most of the people who Brian works with or who work for Crypt are really starting out. So the notion that you're gonna take someone who's got a, who had a hit show 10 years ago and say I'm not gonna pay you, like the underdog notion to do a digital series, there's enough work in traditional television where he gets paid, still people making digital content, the rates are terrible. So what that means is most people doing it are at the beginning of their career. But, but you're not gonna talk someone who made a million dollars or two million dollars on a TV series five years ago to do a series for $400,000 an episode, or very rarely, but you know. And with a movie, you can really do that. And then just last question, you made a comment that someone's doing it well. Who, who are you talking about? Who's actually doing this well, and why aren't others? Doing, doing. Doing your, your low budget. You said there was work. one company doing what you oh, were doing to, well. Uh, New Line is doing it well. New Line is doing it well. And why is no one else? Well, that was kind of the question. I mean, it was my, it's my, 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 that was kind of the ego question that I was saying. And I think that that's kind of, I, I kind of answered that one. <laughs> I don't want to repeat myself. Last question here. Uh, yes, Justin Safey. Uh, I was interested in your comment about your changing views about the window collapsing and also about the impact that Netflix and Amazon are have, uh, having on the industry. Um, look into your crystal ball and tell us what you think the difference is gonna be five years from now in terms of the economic model for making movies and whether different movies are gonna be made because of the economics may be changing within the next five years based on the trends that you've seen in the past five years. Well, distribution is becoming more efficient. So it's not in the last five years, the change has already happened. I mean, five years ago, if you tried to make um, 
Manchester by the Sea, I don't, I don't think it's getting made. I mean, I think there was like, like five years ago, four years ago, the, the theatrical drama or the, 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 the feature length drama was almost gone. And now it's just come back in force because there is a real market for adult dramas and the market, and the, market the traditional movie distribution was not reaching that market efficiently. It was coming out in a theater when it was advertised. By the time it was four months later, the advertising was over and the four, two parents my age, did, you know, they were onto something else. So I think that Netflix and Amazon are making distribution much more efficient and so we are gonna have a much better idea of what the market wants and that's what's gonna be made. And the good news is the market wants much more sophisticated content, both in TV and movies, than anyone ever thought. I mean, no one, everyone five years, ah, there's no one, you know, it's great that you like these fancy Oscar movies, but no one else does. That's just not true. It's just this, the system that we had to reach those people wasn't working. So I, my crystal ball says, even though they, you know, they may be spending a lot, like it may be scaled back a little bit, because right now it's like cuckoo bananas, but I think in five years, we're gonna see a very healthy market for all content, but especially quality content. Thank you. One last question for me. Director Whiplash. Yes. Went on to make? La La Land. That's a sore, that's a sore subject. I, I didn't mean to end on a, on a sad note, but <laughs> did you have a chance to yes, make yeah, La La Land? No, what, what happened? I mean, I, really, you're at Josh, yeah, yeah, did yeah. you put him up to this? Yeah. No, we had the movie. I mean, I mean, I mean, that's, I'm trying to think of how I tell that story in 30 seconds. We had the take, movie. Take, take a minute. I'll take a minute. We had the movie. I worked, my, one of my first jobs was working for Harvey. I definitely learned you give a first time director a movie and you, do it, you know, you give him a big shot, you tie him up for at least one or two after that. Uh, and I was on my way to doing that. Um, we actually had a lunch, I had a lunch with the director before Sundance uh, in December, before Whiplash went to Sundance. And, um, and the, I, I, I'm gonna really blame this executive who works for me, but as I do that, I'm gonna also say the executive for wor who works for me is 100% the reason why we got Whiplash in the first place. So needless to say, he's still working at the company, so I can't really hold it. On a macro level, it's hard to hold this against him. So he, uh, he, he, I was having lunch with Damien. I said, I just wanna lock up the next thing. He said, it's done, it's called La La Land, we got it. Damien's finishing the cut of the movie, don't worry about it. So I blew off this lunch. And then Sundance happened, and, and one thing that a lot of people don't know about Whiplash is, A, no one, but no one wanted to finance the script, or anything. no one wanted the finished movie. We did the worst deal with Sony uh, ever, because there was no competition. No one wanted the movie. And the movie was really not well distributed in the United States either, but that's a whole, it made more money in South Korea than the United States. I thought it blew up at Sundance. It was, no? It did not blow up at Sundance. It did not, no. Everybody, no one wanted the finished movie. We had an offer from Sony Classics and one other crap offer that was even worse. Anyway, we closed that deal and as part of the press announcement, I said, and we gotta announce La La Land, like we're making that too. And, it, the first, and then I was, I was actually in Mexico, I was on the phone and, and there was this thing of like, oh, there's this other thing and there's a question, and I knew right there, I was like, oh shit. It's because you blew off a lunch. Well, I mean, that had something it's to do with it. Yeah, well, I just it wasn't totally locked up. I was told we had it 100%. And one thing I don't regret about is that I, I for three months, I thought, I, there's a real attitude in Hollywood. In fact, our partners on the movie were like, you know what? Like, let's just let them do. I was like, uh-uh, not you know what. Like, I went after it as hard. I threw every bone in my body and every brain cell in my mind going after the movie in every possible way I could. 
and we lost. Like, we just lost. We just lost. And it kills me. And I'm not going to the Oscars this year because I just, not, not, I never go to the Oscars, but I'm not going <laughs> to participate in the Oscars. I'm not watching You're them. Boycotting. I'm actually going to New York for the Oscars because I can't take it. <laughs> Thank you for letting me pick at the scab. If it makes you feel any better, I like whiplash better. Thank you. You're welcome. My wife said that too. So Thank I you. Feel for better. Thank you. Thank you. That's awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for listening to Recode Replay. You can find all the podcasts from Code Media and our other conferences at iTunes.com slash Recode Replay. Or just go to Recode.net for full coverage of the Code Media Conference. If you like this sort of interviews, then good news. We do interviews just like them every week on Recode's free podcasts. I host Recode Decode and co-host Too Embarrassed to Ask with Lauren Good of The Verge. And the producer of Code Media, Peter Kafka, has new interviews with the smartest people from the media world every Thursday on Recode Media. You can find all these shows on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Or just go to recode.net slash podcasts.